Section 10, our Bill G review. Jeff scheduled a Bill G review for a week or so after App Month. I could not imagine why, as we had nothing to show, so it seemed like an opportunity to just get yelled at. Still, Bill was anxious for our progress, and Jeff, having learned some valuable lessons about overpromising, was careful to moderate Bill's expectations. But the prospect of a looming Bill G review was intense, I quickly learned. In 1991, a Bill G review was a big deal, a really big deal. The company was large enough that most teams were not having routine, say monthly, in-person contact with Bill, though email was nearly constant. But it was also small enough that he knew most of the key developers and program managers, especially on the main projects. AFX was a main project, sort of, as it had the attention of one. Our team was small, and I was too junior and never shipped anything, so obviously I wasn't invited. I felt left out, but I also felt relieved. I was too new to be called stupid or to say the dumbest thing Bill G ever heard. I had not established my IQ, but still, I felt I was missing out. The team was supposed to show Bill our progress and how close we were to state-of-the-art tools for GUI and beating Steve Jobs at his own game. Any indications of progress were poor. Our code was big and bloated. Our tools were not revolutionary. We could not create GUI programs quickly, but we did understand existing tools well. We wrote many memos on how NextStep, Borland, ET++, and several other commercial products were superior to Microsoft's lack of products. Jeff knew Bill and understood how he worked better than most anyone. Jeff asked us to put together our materials, literally printouts of code, APIs, benchmarks of memory usage, competitive product briefs, and more, and assemble them into a binder. Back in those days, a good review came with a big binder of papers that were sent over a day or so before the meeting so Bill could prepare. Bill read everything. Bill remembered everything he read. Jeff knew we had to be buttoned up, of course. We also knew we had been poor engineers. I spent many evenings standing in Rick P's doorway, talking and learning from him. Rick was the nicest, most thoughtful developer, and at the same time, he was unbelievably hardcore, the ultimate Microsoft accolade for a developer, focused on every line of code, every byte of memory, and every CPU cycle. Ahead of the Bill G review, he did a group presentation summing up his app month. He had slides. Everyone was flummoxed. Rick never made slides or even led meetings. Our conference rooms had overhead projectors, so when we used slides, which Mike Mapp often referred to by the IBM word foils, we prepared them in PowerPoint or Word, printed them out, and then photocopied them onto transparency pages. The title of Rick's talk read, What Would Make Rick Happy? Through a series of slides, Rick took his perspectives of building real shipping apps and his hardcore focus on performance and reliability and defined a broad set of criteria for how a reusable framework should be built. He played back all the choices made on the Excel layer system, but applied them broadly. This presentation hit me like a 16-ton weight. He converted me to a performance zealot in 20 minutes, a transformation of the highest order. Whenever I encounter a buggy, slow, fat product, I think back to how unhappy that would make Rick and ask myself, what would make Rick happy? In addition to being hardcore about performance and bloat, Rick made a number of incredibly astute observations that would carry great weight moving forward in terms of distinguishing our product. First among those was that we tried to fix the operating system. We took building a cross-platform framework as a chance to cherry-pick the best concepts from each target operating system, or more likely, just picked our favorites. We thought of that as making a new and better operating system. In fact, it was just different. 
Jeff had a great way of describing this both to Bill G and back to us. He would remind us that the OS groups were huge teams of 100 engineers or more compared to our tiny team. How could our tiny team possibly compete with those big teams at designing an operating system? Even more straightforward was how could our team of one contract documentation writer compete with the dozens of books about programming Windows, Macintosh, or OS2 that filled Tower Books? There would never be enough to learn about our framework. What is amazing about this point is that literally every framework was doing the same sort of fixing of operating systems. Even more amazing, this tradition or technique of cross-platform tools inadvertently creating new platforms without the resources to maintain or document them, or even to be competitive, continues to this day. Rick also had some other observations about working with an operating system that proved especially important as our strategy would unfold after the Bill G review. In particular, Rick cautioned about redundancy and re-implementing concepts already in the operating system. A common example was how the OS maintained a list of windows, but so did the framework. Not only was that more memory, more code, but it was a chance for the two lists to disagree and introduce bugs. The whole concept of not maintaining copies of information the OS already had was critical to performance. If an app needed to know something, then there needed to be only one place to look. In general, these observations, rules if you will, formed the foundation of what was to come. They were more observations or theories, however, as we learned them from our experience building the framework that didn't work. Jeff felt leading with what we learned was a key way to engage Bill on failure. These concepts proved the core of what we learned. Up until that point, I had almost exclusively only interacted with other software design engineers, developers, or devs as we called ourselves. A unique role, particularly in apps, was program management, or PM. PM originated on the Excel team as a role responsible for making sure the product being built was easy to use, met the needs of customers, and achieved business goals. The role came about as a way to make sure developer schedule time would be used more efficiently by avoiding false starts and rework while connecting the dots between the ever-increasing number of features. Prior to the introduction of PM, most debates about what to build were settled by the developer writing the code and based on what they felt was right, however they defined right. If it didn't work out, then it would be rewritten. If developers did not agree, an endless email thread ensued and continued until someone got bored, more likely the most forcefully expressed point of view would just win. We called this pre-PM era testosterone-based developers. PMs created a process reflecting customer needs in the product, at least something more than just asking friends in the hallway, which constituted feedback and planning in the early days. PMs also represented the product to other teams and was generally viewed as the face of the team, even though they were peers with development and also software test engineering. Generally, PM led the Bill G review. Cliff Swigget, email Cliff S., who joined from the Macintosh app team, where he worked on a well-known database product called Microsoft File, jumped right in. What a challenging way to begin. Cliff and the team were as ready as they could be for a meeting where we basically had nothing but a year's worth of learning to show. Bill G was not likely to be impressed by mere learning. To sum up our learning, we referred to our condition as upaholism. That's how we described ourselves to Bill G. We drank far too much of the object-oriented programming Kool-Aid, using techniques and approaches that might be good in academia or look great on paper to borrow a wholly inappropriate for building industrial strength commercial software at scale. Maybe this was naive. 
But every new wave of technology comes with it a certain amount of religion and zealotry, even if it isn't immediately practical. There was an optimism that the new way would solve all the old problems and be better, faster, easier, and cheaper. In reality, things almost never worked out like that. Oop proved itself to be more of a passing fad and a lot less than a whole new approach. Oop influenced everything to come, but was not the change agent the zealots believed it would be. A recurring theme in new technologies is how often the first try at something serves to a much larger degree as inspiration and influence rather than as a foundation for implementation. My contribution, entirely a failure, was about to go through my first Bill G review, and it terrified me. Not only was I not at the meeting, but I would be out of town when it took place. That was a blessing, as it turns out. While it was happening, I attended the 1991 Usenix C++ conference in Washington, D.C. As conditions for attending, Jeff insisted that I fly coach, book a cheap room, eat no elaborate dinners, and above all, I was to write a trip report and lead a group meeting on what I learned when I got back. It wasn't just that Jeff believed we should spend Microsoft money like it was our own last dollar, but that spending should result in a contribution to the group, not for the benefit of one. The worst part? I was oof for a couple of days. Oof is a common tech community term originating back to mainframes, an out-of-computer facility that also had a specific implementation in Unix email where you could leave an automatic reply message with the details of the absence. I edited my .oof file saying I'd be back at the end of the week and detailed the conference I was attending. Before the broad use of mobile phones and laptops, a ubiquitous compact LTE laptop was still more than a year away from reality. I was able to check my voicemail using my Microsoft AT&T calling card, something that I do at the inevitable layover at the ORD United Terminal. Those were the days. The conference seemed small, and everyone seemed so grown up, a recurring theme. They had big titles like chief scientist and vice president, and they were with big companies like AT&T, IBM, General Electric, and Texas Instruments. But unlike me, they were real adults. It terrified me. I made the rounds booth to booth, supporting my first ever conference badge with Microsoft affiliation. And in the small hotel room used for the main session, I quietly sat in the back row, quiet and intimidated. Over the course of the conference, about 20 papers were presented and all were extremely relevant to what I was working on. Long before there was Linux, there was Unix, the famed operating system from 1970s AT&T labs, favored in academia and research. Usenix was more of a bottom-up conference of system administrators, programmers, and scientists, all working on the leading edge of the Unix system. Not a highbrow academic conference. The C++ language originated from this community, and the first gatherings focused on C++ language design were hosted by this group. Unlike the strictly academic conferences I followed in graduate school, the Usenix conferences were geared toward industry, or at least non-tenure-track faculty. The debate at the conference centered around the controversy over evolving the C++ language, which at the time seemed premature. This was a language almost no one was using commercially and with almost no tool support beyond Unix, but that was the world they worked in. Contributors debated the use of proposed C++ features, such as multiple inheritance, templates, and even my old favorite, garbage collection. All the while, there were reports about new class libraries being developed everywhere. In one small session, Martin Carroll, a well-known AT&T C++ proponent, gave a talk on some detailed aspects of the language. And toward the end, in Q&A, someone asked about using a feature of, of the language in their code. The answer was something I would use for years. Martin said, 
You're writing code for your product, not a compiler test suite, meaning the presence of a feature in the language didn't mean it had to be used. There was no reason for code to touch every language feature. This presentation later led to my own version of what would Steven like? My thoughts are racing with ideas to develop a set of rules to govern our use of C++ while making sure Rick got what he wanted for performance. When I got back to the office, I was anxious to hear how the Bill G review had gone. Unsurprisingly, my voicemails at pining for details had gone unanswered. Was the Bill G in a good mood? Did anyone say the stupidest thing Bill G had ever heard? Was there yelling? Did anyone get called random? Maybe someone was called high IQ. A Bill G review was generally viewed as an exercise in survival more than an opportunity to shine. At least that's how we, the broad base of people who only heard about the meetings after the fact, perceived them. I walked the hallways in search of the scoop. Given that we had nothing to show and that Bill was anxious to compete, Scott, who attended the meeting, said that it went as well as can be expected. He said there was no yelling, but a strong sense of disappointment. Jeff, I was told, took the brunt of the negatives and discussed many of the challenges. Tools that didn't yet exist, cross-platform development, new team, and new technologies. Scott said we needed to come up with a plan. Finally, in a hallway chat, Jeff later reiterated that the meeting was rough and Bill G. was disappointed, but he, quote, behaved, and that Scott and others did well. The meeting was replayed a dozen times that day, pairwise. Each of us must have heard the story several times from each participant, trying to gauge the tone and every nuance. It was like hearing about an amazing concert that I didn't go to attend, but instead of music, it was my future career at Microsoft. Jeff detailed the meeting summary from Bill G. It was not the kind of summary anyone expected. He said that Bill G. concluded the meeting with a wrap-up, something like, it was disappointing that we haven't made the progress we should have hoped. But it sounds like the team has learned a lot while making many mistakes. The thing we can't do is make those same mistakes again while we come back as soon as we can with a product that is competitive. That sure didn't sound like the Bill G we were all terrified of. As Jeff explained, Bill appreciated learning and understood, if not embraced, the failure that could happen while learning. While at events like intern parties or new hire gatherings, Bill often told stories about appreciating failure, like Xerox not capitalizing on the invention of the GUI. He never seemed to use examples of failure from within Microsoft. It was a relief. It would foreshadow that caricature of Bill G was not always the same as Bill G, the manager, leader, and CEO. At least I had one counterpoint. I still had to give my presentation on my trip. My presentation about what I learned was presented as a series of new rules for using C++ that we should follow. I won't dull down this exciting story with a diatribe about programming language design, but suffice it to say, we took to heart the idea that as powerful as OOP was, using C++ as a better C would be our hallmark. We would apply Rick and Microsoft's hardcore ethos to OOP. I don't really know what made me assert all this stuff and what was supposed to be a trip report. In hindsight, I think I was just totally jazzed by attending the conference and also in a bit of panic over what was now coming up on my second anniversary with no shipping code. Maybe it was just that we made it through the bill review, though that was all Jeff's doing. From that point forward, we became reformed Oopaholics. AFX was the hardcore Oop group. We had no product plan, but as a team, we lived through a failed project, and I know that is something that can become a team-building experience. I don't think Bill G was thinking about that point, but Jeff certainly was. The online version has the logo for the AFX team um, that we put on the front of the binder, and it featured um, the Field of Dreams kind of iconic graphics from the movie. Jeff was a huge 
baseball fan, and so we chose that logo, which I designed myself. Not only did we survive what should have been a horrible meeting, but at least by Microsoft standards, it was motivational. We were given license to regroup, plan what to do, but to execute quickly. We just needed a focus. Focus was difficult to come by given how many operating systems or platforms we were on the hook to support. Next only had to support one. Apple Macintosh only supported one. Microsoft was, on its own, building MS-DOS, Windows, OS2, and supporting Macintosh and more. Shipping would clarify things. Shipping was everything. This was just sinking in for me. If you're not shipping, you're literally not doing anything. Excel 3.0 had just finished. This was the version of Excel that took advantage of Windows 3.0 memory management and also worked on Macintosh. It was an amazing product. It also shipped 11 days later than its original schedule, a beyond noteworthy event. A memo was circulating about a talk Chris Peters gave as a tech talk to developers. I did not know Chris personally yet. He was already a legend in the hallways and John Devon's manager. His talk was shipping software on time. And by all accounts, he was the master of the new shipping software religion and apps after that Excel 3 project. The memo hung on my relight for years. Yes, my relight was crowded. This memo meant everything, and it was also everything we were not doing in AFX. The online version has that shipping software on time meeting notes on the memo by Chris Peters. The essence of the memo was a commitment and accountability to a ship date. Not a target ship date, not a date like first half or second quarter. That was, as Chris would say, 180 dates or 90 dates. There were many variables in a project. The ship date cannot be one of them. He went on and on about shipping. Everyone on the team has one job, ship products. And to really hammer the point, he explained how everyone else comes to work trying to prevent the team from shipping. Hardcore. Hardcore software. We needed to ship. We needed to ship something fast and on time. 